Welcome back. back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions and games. And today we are doing a deep dive on Santa Monica. So it's been a while since we've done a deep dive episode and... Just to remind y'all, the purpose of these is to share not just our opinions on these games, but really dive deep into the decisions that make this game tick and see what learnings there are to pull out of it. So that's what we'll be doing today on this week's episode. But before we do, we have a new review on the show uh, to read. So we're going to do that now. Then we'll talk about our short ratings and reviews, a little background info, and then get right into the heart of the discussion. But this one is called Essential Listening for Game Designers. And it is from Keyframer G. Jake, I read the last one. Do you want to read this one? Awesome. Yeah. So thank you, Keyframer G, for sending this five-star review in. And here it is. When I started getting into game design, Ludology was the podcast for serious discussion about crafting fun. Decision space is a newer discovery for me, but has quickly become essential listening. The What We Talk About episodes earnestly tackle broad topics and always bring a new perspective. The deep dive single game episodes are not disposable reviews, but great analysis that makes the discussion as evergreen as the classic games. Going back, listening to older episodes now, 10 out of 10, great job. 10 out of 10 review. Thank you, Keyframer G. And that's three reviews in a row, which makes it officially a review train. So if you want to help us keep that going, please do leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you can't because you're busy or maybe you listen to it on a platform that doesn't allow written reviews, give us a rating. That also would mean a ton to us. Okay, so now all things Santa Monica. Do you want to kick us off with your rating and short review? Sure. Santa Monica for me is a 7 out of 10 game. I think it's a good game. I think it's fun. But I think that it doesn't leap to me off the page, right? Head and shoulders above other games in this sort of similar weight class. So I think it makes a lot of sense to pick this one up if you're just charmed by the presentation, which I think is top notch, or charmed by the theme. Or maybe don't have a game in the collection that has this type of drafting, tableau building, spatial uh, reasoning uh, mechanisms in it. I think the things that hold it back from being a great game for me is some of the turns just become a little bit too crunchy, too like calculable, calculable for a game of this weight and, and simple mechanisms. That kind of make me pull back a little bit and think like have that thought cross my mind like I'm not sure that I want to be mathing all this out right now. And and I think that is the main kind of emotional uh, experience playing this game that holds it back from from being a great game for me. But it's a good one. How about you, awesome. Brendan? So for me, Jake, this is one of those rare instances where I didn't write a review beforehand. And I will say I feel like you nailed it completely. So I'm just going to add on to everything you said and say that. Santa Monica is a game by AEG and there's other sort of light drafting tableau-ish building games uh, even from AEG that I enjoy significantly more than Santa Monica. Games like Calico or Cascadia whose spatial elements are a little bit more interesting and pop more or even games like Point Salad that feature this interesting mechanism of if I draft, drafting something comes with the opportunity cost of revealing something behind it, um, which is featured here in Santa Monica too. And I think I'd rather run in the direction of Point Salad or run in the direction of Cascadia or Calico and play one of those three games over Santa Monica. But like you said, Jake, the presentation 
mansion is so charming. And there's some really neat ideas here that I'm excited to delve into. And Santa Monica has made me think a lot about variability in games and, and sort of following up, I think, even on our replayability discussion. So I'm excited, excited to delve into those ideas thanks to Santa Monica and maybe unpack different types of variability in games and what the type of variability that Santa Monica leans on. For me, this game is also uh, a seven out of 10. There's some neat ideas, but some of the rules overhead and baggage seems a little heavy for the relatively light tableau building game. I'd also rather place Kanagawa, which is just one of my faves. And it has some similar ideas going on. Or King Domino maybe even fits in. Yeah, totally. I also, I, you know, it's been a while since we've really done a deep dive episode or maybe it just feels that way i guess we did torres not that long ago but just as a reminder or maybe for our new listeners the reason jake and i even review or give our ratings at the outset is we really want to contextualize our conversation going forwards we don't see this part as being the the meat of the show or why people will tune in but we want to make sure you understand where we're coming at this game from and where our heads are going in so this is mostly just to help you feel like you know what we're thinking as we head into a, a more of a deep dive critical analysis of the game. Awesome. Thanks, Brendan, for providing that overview of what it is exactly we're doing here. And let's give a little bit more information on the game background. Uh, so this is a 2020 game by AEG, as Brendan mentioned, designed by Josh Wood, who also did Cat Lady, uh, a 2017 release, and Let's Go to Japan, a release this year. Josh Wood is also the developer of Tiny Towns, a very popular game from AEG uh, that's all about sort of creating these different, it's another light sort of game about putting out these little buildings in the right array on your city grid, uh, Sheepy Time. And then also the Guild of Merchant Explorers, which is another AEG game that's been quite celebrated as of late. So Josh doing double duty as designer and developer uh, with some great developer credits to his name. Great. Well, let's jump right into our rules overview recorded separately by Brendan. And we'll meet you back on the other side for our deep dive. Santa Monica is a tile drafting tableau building game for two to four players, in which players add tiles in two rows, one representing the beach and the other a street, to a tableau before them. Each turn, players draft a tile from a shared display that itself is separated into two rows. Players must always select one tile from the front row, which then causes the tile behind it to drop down, making it available for other players to select in subsequent turns. Special markers, a foodie and a food truck, move along this drafting display, shifting the incentives around drafting certain tiles slightly. After selecting a tile, players add it to their tableau, Beach tiles always go horizontally adjacent to other beach tiles, and street tiles always go horizontally adjacent to other street tiles. In doing so, players are trying to optimize the scoring of tags on those cards, representing various features, local spots, tourist spots, sports locations, nature, businesses, etc., or also managing a light logistics puzzle around moving people across their Santa Monica tableaus to special scoring rings. People come in various forms themselves and are added to players' tableaus through drafting tiles or through VIPs on their starting tile. Additionally, players can use sand dollars, a special resource, to take powerful and variable actions throughout the course of the game. Scoring itself is variable based on the tiles a player drafts and a shared scoring card, which is variable and has always has three scoring rules, a wave bonus, a miscellaneous bonus, and a penalty for people at the end of the game in 
your tableau that aren't in a scoring ring. When one player has placed their 14th feature card, starting feature card not included, it triggers the end of the game. Play continues until each player has taken an equal number of turns. At this point, players tally their score based on the tiles they've drafted, including unique scoring objectives and the shared scoring objectives, and the player with the most points is crowned the victor. Thank you, Brendan, for taking the time to put that rules overview together. Uh, hopefully it gives people a better sense of what's going on in this game that will prepare them for this conversation. And why don't we get started by characterizing the decision space in Santa Monica? Okay, so Santa Monica, Jake, is a, it's an interesting one because, because of the nature of the drafting and being presented with four tiles that you can choose from. There's some wrinkles, right? There's the sand dollar mechanism that will sometimes let you break rules around drafting, maybe draft a tile from behind one of the others, or maybe draft two tiles at a time. Uh, but oftentimes you don't have those sand dollars uh, to spend, or maybe you do and you're, you're making a consideration. But for the most part, you're usually choosing between four tiles that are out there, and you're usually just double checking if any of the tags are of interest to you. It's like the first level heuristic. So to me, the decision space feels fairly moderate, but it's very much the feel of the, what shapes this decision space is the overlaid scoring. Tiles can count for multiple objectives. So, so much of what you're trying to do here is try to make things double count for what you're doing in terms of how can I pursue as many scoring opportunities as possible with this one single action, set myself up for future grid scoring while advancing my position as much as possible right now. Yeah, well said. Keeping your options open feels really important sort of to the decisions you'll be making uh, on that card drafting and then placing into your tableau as well. So for the size and depth of the decision space, I heard you say that you felt as though it was moderate, maybe on the smaller end. And I think that's necessarily true just by virtue of the extremely limited options you have in yeah. both aspects of the game. You have the four cards you can pick from and then no more than four spaces you could place it. Uh, so that just really narrows down your like the different nodes in the decision tree to something that you can really wrap your hands around. And I think that is sort of what leads to the really crunchy feeling of this game, where yeah. if you know your choices are that limited, it makes you feel like I should really take the time to identify the best possible choice. I think you could have more than four spaces where you could put it right. if you drafted more beach or more street tiles, but more or less, usually like of good options, you you oftentimes only have like one space you could put a tile realistically too, right? Like with just with the way that the tag system works, usually there's like an optimal place to put the next tile you draft for the most part too. Just yeah. to your point, like it always feels really constrained. Right. It, it it feels that way. And then like as I described it, but then there's like an inordinate number of like turns where it feels like a slam dunk. It's like, yeah, okay, right. this is the only one of those four available tiles or cards, whatever you want to call them, um, that has the exact tag that I'm looking for. So I'm going to just need that. a volleyball. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to put that where it is adjacent to my other volleyball tags. Yep. And but there are turns where, and I think towards the end of the game too, uh, where this maybe speaks to clarity, where the clarity gets, I don't think it ever gets to like be like obscure where like, I just don't know what I should do here or 
because it, there's just you always can see what's coming ahead. You can't see, you know, two cards ahead, but you can see what cards are coming into the row next. But it gets like the math and like trying to figure out your optimal point situation towards the end, especially when you start factoring in the sand dollar powers. Like one of them allows you to draft a tile and then like switch two tiles. Yeah, in huge your, in your uh, tableau. And if you already have twelve tiles in there, all of a sudden that decision space has blown up considerably because you have a ton of choice and freedom all of a sudden and when that sand dollar power is in play you can set up moves potentially where you're set like usually you can use that to cheat moving a lot of people around the map maybe to set up getting them into action rings late in the game or something you can use it in clever creative ways but the sand it's an important point i think that we should highlight and emphasize here about the overall decision space that the sand dollar powers really do have the potential to like reshape how you might approach the game or how it feels somewhat not hugely but like a little bit just a little bit and And i I think think what i was gonna say i think uh that is where it gets the decision space gets cloudy and uncomfortable for me in some ways that makes me kind of pull away from the game because the rest of the game feels like I should, I'm just like making optimal move after optimal move. And now for like this one turn, the decision space has blown up so much. And yes, you want to like manipulate your board so that you can move, cheat your people around to get them next to different objectives. But that also might mean breaking up tags of, yeah chains that you have right so like the entangled objectives that you're working on throughout the game all of a sudden can come in conflict and it's just like i just don't want to do the actually do the arithmetic for each possible space and i know there's one that's going to give me the most points and because i've been playing the rest of the game doing the math it feels like i should be doing it here too yeah, totally. I will say also, Jake, Santa Monica has the clarity aspect of not having a total, it's the tile set and the tiles that might exist and the frequency in terms of if you needed two of one tag, like some some tiles or cards have, say, a wave tag and a volleyball tag. The To me, it's not super transparent what the number of tiles that even exist in the game are. So in a few games, I found myself doing this thing where I was looking for a specific thing that just never came. I put myself in a position where I really needed something that had both. I can't remember what it was specifically, but let's say like a nature and a, and a tourist spot together. And I was just waiting and waiting and waiting and it never came. So it does have the potential for a little bit of that. It doesn't want you to be tile counting in the way that maybe you would in a game like, I don't know, like Cascadia maybe, or where you have a little bit stronger sense of the tiles that are out there. They're a little bit less specific. um, So you can make a general approach of them more. And after that game, I learned, oh, I shouldn't be playing Santa Monica in that way. I shouldn't try to shoot the moon on getting a pair of tags in this way. But it's something you might bump up against in early plays. You sort of say, oh, that seems easy. I just need two tags. I think that's a really important uh, thing to point out and highlight with the decision space here too is it feels like a game that wants you to play tactically. Yes, right? yeah. So if you're trying to play strategically for like this big specific tile or move that's going to pull everything together, even with a sand dollar power or something, that's probably not going to be able to make up enough points as you could just accrue taking whatever tile gives you the most points right now. Like... That, at least that's how I've been playing the game uh, primarily. Yeah, absolutely. Same uh, for me. 
Do you All think right, you have anything in terms of characterizing the overall decision space more? I'm trying to think of the, so the actual like type of decision space, I, it feels waxing a bit, right? It's like a static choice, right? You always have the exact same, uh, you're presented with the same number of options on each turn, but I do feel like the decision space waxes a little bit as we've talked about. Uh, with the sand dollar powers becoming more important, more powerful, more flexible late in the game. Also, yes, you can have more than four places to put a card potentially later, increasing the decision space. And then also do you have more just like assets on the board, uh, opportunities to score and uh, the tourists or workers, the meeples uh, to move around to. So all those things serve to increase uh, the decision space as it goes along. Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think we should move on to a new special segment, a new little fun feature that we're going to do on the show, maybe occasionally going forwards. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, let's do it. So, okay. the, yeah, sorry. I'll, it's okay if I just kind of give the idea and then you want to take yeah. it. Okay. So we in our Discord have a pre-planner section of our forum uh, where, uh, and this is like a little secret sauce. We've been stealing ideas from our Discord <laughs> members since the beginning of this show. Uh, so our pre-planner section is where people can go and talk about the games that will be coming up on Decision Space soon. Uh, and we get tons of great insights. So we want to just read out a couple of the ideas from Discord members um, that generated our thoughts on this show. And if you want to... Uh, be a part of this we'd love to have you join our pre-planner group moving forward okay so the first comment we're going to read is from varianor uh and the question i think that jake had posed was something along the lines of what's your favorite decision that you make in this game so varianor says my favorite decision point where to place a building to make maximum use of people in my tableau i think it's a little counter heuristic it encourages you to get sand dollars and put people out but you might not be able to move them for maximum efficiency. I realized after a play or two that you have to plan around your buildings first and then get the people. To me, it makes it really feel like I'm back in Santa Monica looking at the water again, but you haven't been there. It might not work. I think it's a relaxing game that nicely simulates a trip to the beach. Um, I will say we didn't talk about this too much when we were talking about the overview, but another important thing about the feel of the game is that little people logistics puzzle. Um, it gives it this like, so you essentially, some of the tiles that you can get, put people in your tableau on your Santa Monica, Monica pier or beach, and you want to get them to these scoring rings that are located on other tiles. Maybe it's a volleyball court or a wedding or something like that. Um, and other tiles will allow you to move them around. Or if you draft a card that's in front of the that has the foodie truck the food truck in front of it you also get to move a person and then some of the sand dollar powers also let you move people so it's this little logistics puzzle that's kind of layered over the tag scoring in this game uh that's fun but because it's on a grid feels fairly rigid for the most part uh um, um, sort of logistics puzzle that's based on a hex sort of array gives you more flexibility. Something like even I know people complain that something like the Keyflower logistics puzzle is too rigid, uh, but even that is more flexible than something like the what's going on in Santa Monica somewhat just because you can only ever move in the sort of to the left, to the right or up above. You can't move diagonally. You have to move orthogonally. Um, so it 
oftentimes it feels like a lot of investment to move the people around, but it's a fun little puzzle and it, it is, the people are cute and it adds a little sort of vitality to your tableau. Yeah, great, great comment. I Yeah, I think the idea of trying to place tiles with people next to the features they'll go is wise because it's, as you're saying, it's difficult to move people around. And it feels like, I was surprised in my initial plays of this game, how it feels like the op, like the tiles that give you movement are rarer than you would expect. Yep, I totally agree. Right, um, let's go to the next one. Okay. Oh, sorry. No, no, okay, no, no, what were you going to say now? I need to know. I was just going to say, do you feel like when you've played with games with the sand dollar scoring that are the sand dollar powers that let you move people around, that that's less so the case? Or do you feel like that's just persistently the case, even in games that push in that direction a little bit? It's. I think it's more persistently the case. Yeah, it yeah. can be alleviated some, but I never feel like, oh, there's an abundance of movement. Yeah, people aren't just like zipping all over Santa Monica. Yeah, no. It's usually like they're scooting one space over. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, okay. And the way they work is like, I can move four people one space, right? Rather than <laughs> right. You four movement to use as you want, right. uh, which makes it difficult again. Yeah. And and also lends that sort of rigid feel that we're feeling in some of the other systems uh, somewhat as well. Okay. Next comment is from Max Longstreet. So this is actually Tony Faber of Two Wood for uh, a Wheat, another podcast sort of fame. And Tony said, I enjoy push your luck element, the push your luck element, which shows up in games of this type where you get a card not entirely knowing if you'll be able to get people there to fulfill its scoring or get other cards to make it score well. Yeah, I think that's a great point. There's a lot of just like giving yourself opportunity, especially early in the game. Um, But yeah, you're not necessarily going to be able to guarantee you'll be able to achieve them. Uh, And the last comment comes from JC. uh, And JC, uh, we know, is a huge fan of this game. And he says, my main heuristic is to go for the best value people locations. I think the puzzle is the most brain-burning part of the game and highest scoring potential. Getting them all used and moved efficiently is very satisfying. I think what I like is just trying to maximize all objectives. Every card you place use so many considerations, tags, people, end game objectives, spatial planning. It just has a satisfying crunch. Nice. Well, that kind of covers it. I think that that is sort of the crux of this game, right? Like you're trying to juggle all of these different considerations and then mix with Tony's comment around the uncertainty of will this tile end up paying off a lot for me or will it not is another huge thing at play here that we haven't talked about a lot. If two players are trying to go after in a two player game or even in a multiplayer game, the same type of tags that can increase or decrease the sort of how much potentially you might score from certain tiles, right? Because if we're all fighting over the volleyballs because we all drafted uh, other tiles that sort of said, you want more volleyballs in your tableau, it's going to be harder to get those volleyballs. So there is a little bit of wanting to look around, kind of figure out what people are maybe leaning, leaning into to some extent. But at the end of the day, you're like you said, Jake, this is a highly tactical game where you're just sort of like, what's my best move on my turn? I think. Yeah. And thanks everyone for leaving those comments and the others who did we didn't read. Um, and I think what JC especially is getting to here is this overlaid scoring puzzle. So we've yeah. talked overlaid scoring before on this podcast. Um, we mentioned games like Cascadia uh, in that group where you are trying to score for multiple objectives and meet many of them all at the same time. And it feels like Santa Monica even like does it 
more, right? In Cascadia, you have different animals scoring that you're trying to work and the uh, regions, right? Uh, the geography game as well. So that's like two main components. And here, yep. as JC points out, you have tags, people, and end game scoring objectives. So you really have like three puzzles all laid on top of each other uh, and trying to do the sp- the spatial uh, part of it just to make sure that you can try and maximize those as best as you can. Yep. Do you feel like, Jake, when you're placing tiles, what percentage of the time do you feel like it's an interesting consideration where that tile should go? Good question. You know, I don't think it I don't think it is very often if you separate your turn in that way. Like by the yeah. time I've selected a tile, I'm kind of it's pretty clear where that's going in my tableau, but it definitely is an important consideration of which tile to select, right? Yep. Like often there's a tile that I want, but it doesn't it's not achieving multiple objectives based on where I could place it now. So I might take something else so that I can take that tile next turn and put it adjacent to the tile I just placed. And then now all of a sudden I'm getting like multiple kind of uh, synergistically attacking multiple objectives with it. Sometimes too, Santa Monica definitely has, so there's this mechanism of the food truck and the foodie tokens that we've talked about, which are cool because they're this uh, shifting incentive system that are themselves overlaid. So if the food truck is ever in front of uh, a tile, you get to, and you take that tile, you get to move a person. So it's a nice little bonus. And if the person is ever, is that right, Jake? Or does the truck give you sand dollars? The truck gives you sand dollars. Yeah, I think the truck gives you sand dollars. Okay, and then the the foodie themselves allows you to move a person. Uh, But they can also overlap with one another. And the way they move is that when a tile is taken with one of them in front of them, they move one space to the right. So sometimes, I've mostly played this at two players, I find myself using these to kind of draft a tile, not because I necessarily really want that tile, but because I want to create incentive for my opponent to try to take a different tile so that I can then get access to the tile above it. Um, which there's a lot of like, this game wants you to do this like multi-dimensional, like passive pressure type play where it's like setting up your opponent to, to take a forcing move. That's kind of interesting, but not ultimately like the most fun I find. Yeah. It, I I mean, it's definitely a blunt tool to get rid of, get your (laughs) opponent to draft something that you you want to get out of the way um and because it's just not that important often to even if you have both lined up on one card then you get uh, any combination of like two of movement and or uh sand dollars which can be helpful but like when i'm playing the game i'll only use that as like a tie break i would never take a tile that i don't want over one that is going to give me just like three or five points outright to right just to get, get a sand like, small bonus out of it yeah yeah, yeah. so i don't know totally. I, I think it's in- interesting i honestly think like maybe the game doesn't need that extra thing just to kind of keep track of or, or perhaps yeah. like there might be a different way like giving somebody like a single once or twice a game you can just like x out a tile before you draft mm. but the catastrophe, the catastrophe design from Tiger Sea Euphrates coming into a totally different game, more or less, right? This like yeah. hyper agency of like, oh no, I get to take the tile behind it. Yeah. yeah, and it is weird, especially it probably comes up less in larger games, but we've been playing a lot of two player with each other, and yeah. there are situations where 
a card in the back row is just really good Stuck. for both of us. So nobody's going to take that front row yeah. card ever. Yeah, it and just totally just have, seizes up. Yeah, now you just have three uh, columns that you're working with instead of four. I actually think that that happens more frequently than it seems like it might where the game kind of early on you're kind of like both going for things then once you commit it becomes clear what both players want and then the drafting display just does kind of seize up in a way that you don't see in a lot of games which is interesting because it kind of shifts the decision space to be more tense and more sort of claustrophobic towards the end and add a little bit more uncertainty the other reason it might come up and i think this is a interesting thing to talk about with this game is i'm not to be extremely clear i'll use my words carefully (laughs) i am not saying the game is not balanced but the cards are not balanced with each other like Mm. there are vastly different values between what's printed on the cards so if a card that is just a really high value card is in the back row, uh, often it's going to be good for everybody in the game. Not just It's not just that, oh, I don't want Brendan to have that card because he already has two sunglasses tags. It's like that card makes all sand dollars equal one point per sand dollar you have. And you could just end up with like 10 sand dollars and get 10 free points off of it without doing right. anything else. Um, also, the I think JC pointed this out in his comment too, uh, when you talk about the people puzzle, uh, you have to move a varying number of people onto a card in order to like achieve that scoring opportunity. Uh, and it's a varying number of people for a varying number of points. So some of them are like three people to get two points. And some of them are like one person to get one four person points. to get four points. Right. So yeah. if there's an opportunity like that is popped up, it's everybody just wants that card. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that is one of the things that maybe like exacerbates it. I think it, I'm curious, what are your thoughts? Do you think that this like unbalanced difference in cards makes the drafting portion of the game more interesting, less interesting? I mean, on a base level, right? Like if everything is costed exactly the same, it's not going to be that interesting because you roughly get sort of the same value no matter what you take. But obviously... Let me push back a little bit yep. in that, like, but there are different incentives for different people, right? Yep. Right. Like, if I'm going for a you tag all start that with a you're not going tag. for, yeah, and diff- so, so yeah, so that that's just one thing to keep in mind. Anyway, continue. I think that what it does do, Jake, is it adds more variance, right? Like, the more varied the power level of the cards are, the more varied the more variance in the game overall, the less, the more often you're going to sort of luck into a tile that's really strong starting or maybe two that's really strong starting or end up in a spot where things do kind of seize up and then you end up with this like slow encroach towards like, how much should I give up to to Jake before just taking the tile in front of us and letting him have what's behind it? Um, so I think it creates a tenser, more variable game overall. Um I I don't know. It also, it's interesting because there are times too where you're being asked to compare apples and oranges a little bit, right? Where like there's tiles that just are focused on people, right? So that one we talked about, there's a a scoring ring that shows a sandcastle. It says, if you have one person of any type in this ring, you score four points. Okay, that's pretty, you, you, you usually know you can accomplish that. But compared with something else, maybe like a uh, tile that says if you have two people on this tile of any type, you score three points. Plus, it gives you a volleyball plus a sand dollar. Plus, it says for every two sand dollars at the end of the game, you score a point that that's just that's really good. Um, and But you're being forced to compare like, OK, 
Am I more likely to push it in sort of the sand dollar direction? What are my sand dollars going to be worth from that? Do, the, do I care about the volleyball? Either it could be worthless or there could be reasons why I care about it and it's going to make me score. And then also, do I have people nearby where I would want to place this scoring ring? Uh, if so, how many points am I going to get from that? How much effort is that going to take? I think it, there's so much to the comment from Max Longstreet earlier of like uncertainty around what you might end up doing that does make the value judgments somewhat more difficult at times because, but it's not like you said, usually there's just like a tactically heuristically, if I make this decision, I'll get five points. And if I make this decision, I'll get two, but I have a chance of getting six. I'll probably just take the decision where I get five points. Especially if that's good for everybody. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I agree. I think it definitely makes it more of an interesting game overall. I also think it is like a almost not signposted in a way mm. where I, it was it's kind of surprising to me. Like it took me a few games to realize it. Like all the art is so similar. Yeah. That it's like, okay, yeah, this is like a, one of the cards that has a circle on it that requires a certain number of people. And I think just my assumption from playing a bunch of games like this is that the balance between cards would be like a tighter band, even if it's not yeah. like perfectly balanced. Like this feels like it's really kind of some of the cards really are bursting at the seams uh, and just have like wild and crazy effects. I think you're right. That does add variability to the game um, in, in a fun way. But yeah, just it, it can also that's the other side of the coin with variability is it can lead to sort of just like wonky things happening. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think some of that variance shake too is kind of borne out in the sand dollar cards too. So the sand dollar actions, I should say. And again, these vary by game. Every time you play, you're going to have two different ones available to you that have a different cost, which means that how valuable sand dollars are even can vary. But I just want to read two of them to give an example. So one of these, it says to use this action, pay two sand dollars to the display to the supply, take a feature card from the front of the display, then swap two feature cards in your city. Then finally, you may return up to two people in your city back to the supply. It even has the then finally. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, and then this one says uh, to use this action, pay one sand dollar to the supply, take a feature card from the front row of your display. Then you may move three tourists one space each. So this one just basically says you're going to pay a sand dollar. You're still going to take a tile and you just get to move three tourists one space each. But then the other one, you're taking uh, a sand dollar, you're swapping two feature cards and you're doing two people and you're paying just one more sand dollar for it. I don't know. Yeah, th these Not are one of those is wildly better than the other. No, and uh, everybody's going to have opportunities to use both yeah. of the two that are present in each game. I think my experience with these sand dollars is that they are not as like impactful in my play or in like mm. changing the decision space as I might want, want. or expect because yeah. they, they cost a lot, right? Sand dollars aren't necessarily super easy to get. So some of the ones that are really impactful cost four sand dollars. So you're probably only going to get the opportunity to do that maybe twice over the course of the game if you wanted to. And I think the exist like I think they're a little bit undermined by the existence of the cards that just give you raw points for having sand dollars. I think yeah. Yeah. I think those cards are just super strong overall, and it's rare that you would have a sand dollar move that 
is going to be, you know, greater than just having like hoarding ex- your sand dollars. Yeah, just ho- hoarding your sand dollars, having X points. And even then, if you did have one of those cards, like maybe I'm spending four sand dollars to do a move that's going to gain me like five or six points. So it's like a net gain of two points. Yeah. Which it feels like in that case, it's like a lot of, it doesn't feel like as exciting or big as of a moment as it could. And also those are kind of like the most like AP inducing, slowing down the game moments as well. So there's, I think there's something just like maybe a touch off about these. Okay, I have a follow-up question to that that I'm really curious about. Do you feel the same way about the variable scoring cards? So each of these are structured such that they all have a bonus for waves. So it might be like you get, two two points per wave in your longest wave chain or you get three points for each separate wave chain those basically say put your waves together or put your waves away from each other or score each chain of waves equal to the number of waves in them in triangular scoring so get a lot of waves together and then you get points and then yeah then there's also the penalties across the board like the player with the most unplaced people at the end of the game gets negative four points the second most gets negative two you get negative one point for each card with an unplaced person sort of it's like they're they're variable but there's so much riffing on the same thing that functionally that the games don't feel all that different to me when i have different these different scoring cards there yeah maybe i'm just not i think you're i think you're right i honestly hadn't thought about this until you i saw you bringing it up in the notes but like if you take the blue and green one the blue one says you want to have your wave icons together and the green one says you want to have your wave icons every other yeah it doesn't like the decision space is functionally the exact same you just yeah change a rule for another one i don't mind the existence of these because i don't know it's satisfying to create either pattern sure sure. (laughs) you know but yeah it doesn't i I think you're right in that i don't think that these change like they change your heuristics but they don't change what how you actually make decisions to apply those heuristics in the game totally okay so i want to put that slightly differently they change your considerations but they don't change the feel of the game yeah yeah what do you think about like the so the last part of each of these so the first there's each of these scoring tiles so these are like the overall scoring the first has to deal with wave icons the second has to deal with chains of uh castles right or chains of tags yeah or even yeah so kind of like little bonuses yeah so you get two per two points per largest tag three points for each uh chain of tags that are at least three big and then one point for each set of street and ocean cards in your largest chain so yeah so i think it's doing something pretty similar there right it's changing the consideration but not the actual decision space and then the last one has gives you negative points for having unplaced people People. on the board yeah Uh, and and this is like sort of like a majority thing in the first one right if you have the most you get minus four second most minus two the second one is you get minus one point for each card with an unplaced person and then minus and then the last one gives you one point for each full ring of people and minus one for every two unplaced people yeah i think it's kind of the exact same thing there right it doesn't change it's just you just like right apply that get people and put them in your brain but yeah it doesn't change like how you actually approach the game in an interesting way yeah i also think like i have completely ignored that penalty for people 
it just seems like not really impactful in yeah, any ways. I feel like you just your strategy when playing this game more or less is like tags over people. I do. I think that is that's like my tendency of being like more like of like a conservative strategy, like not taking risks. Like tags feel like more of a for sure thing. Yep. Where people are, you know, if I put one tag next to another, like I'm working towards something where sometimes it feels like a little bit less certain when you're going for the people activity rings where you're we're trying to move people into. But the other thing about like the negative points is so at the end of the game, you get the opportunity to fire all of your movement cards again, right? Any yeah. any movement that you have on cards or, or tiles, whatever you're placing into your tableau, you get to use it again. So so no matter what, like you're able to, and because all the people start out together on a card, like it feels like really easy to like at least do damage mitigation at the end. So you're not taking like huge negatives. Yeah. To the point where it's like, why should I really even be caring about this? Like, it's just not, you know, it's like the equivalent of like a single, you know, decent move over the course of the game. Yeah, I will say, Jake, sometimes I th- I feel like my favorite moments in Santa Monica are in some of these other AEG tile drafting placing games that have spatial puzzles. Some of the really fun moves are like the slam dunks where you hit on multiple goals at once. So like Calico has that in a huge way because the goal objectives are overlaid and you need tiles to count for multiple things and they have multiple qualities that you're trying to line up. Uh, Cascadia definitely has that in terms of, okay, I need this train, but this type of animal, I can make those match up. Boom, I have this like almost bingos type turn. And I feel like they're a little rarer in Santa Monica. Though occasionally it does feel really good to have a scoring ring, draft a card that gives me a bunch of people, plop it down right next to it, and then spread those people just one tile over. It, but again, it's a little it's a little less direct because of the added need of this like choppy, like, okay, now I have to do this action that lets me move a person one space and then one space and then move these other people one space down. And I I don't know. It, the, the feedback feels less immediate on the scoring ring cards, I think in a way that is puzzly, but maybe... It, it softens the excitement of when you set up a, a big turn for me slightly, though, I guess at the end, getting to move everyone one more time, I've had some big, big splashy turns to end on. It's like a nice little finale, but it feels extraneous. It sort of feels like, oh, this is just here to smooth the game out. OK, yeah, yeah, I, that's a really interesting question. Like, how would this game feel if you didn't get to do that? Yeah. Like, I wonder why that exists at all. I, you know, I can imagine like during play test, people being like, well, dang, it really stinks that I have, I almost made it to all these activity rings yeah. or something. And it's like, okay, well, we'll kind of fudge it a bit at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think I'm kind of like coalescing around an idea about Santa Monica, which is like that it has a lot of what I enjoy about like variability in games, right? Like I like that the cards are bursting at the seams a little bit, but then at every turn, sort of the amount you can succeed or fail feels like mitigated. Yeah. So like it, even though you have like cards that are kind of wacky, like I never really feel like I have the same kind of like high highs that you get with wacky unbalanced cards that I get in a game like Bruges or something else. Yeah. Like the cards can't really synergize with each other more than like sharing tags with the one next to it or having the people that fulfills the activity ring or the activity ring that you'll use the people to go to. Sure. Right. There's no, there are like edge cases where it's, it feels like a little bit more than that, but it never feels like, Hey, everybody check this out. 
Yeah, because I think when you're playing the like the sports strategy of collecting yellow tags, it's not that it's not functionally different than when you're playing the the pink strategy of collecting the pink tags. Like between those two cards, if one says you get four points for every three pink tags you have, and one says you get three points, four points for every yellow tags you have, like there's nothing unique about either of those given ones, more or less, in Santa Monica, right? Like they're just tags. And I think some of what you're saying is it feels less vibrant because it's not like you're unlocking some special sports power or strategy when you play in that direction. And yeah, that's just like I, the sort of family nature of the game, I think, somewhat. It's supposed to be a lighter tableau building game. But it, if, even though there's so much vibrant art and these cool people and these little twists like the food cart and the foodie truck, because it's so nakedly calculable in that way it feels more abstract than it looks yeah it i think the game is trying to hit like a venn diagram of like light enough for families but crunchy enough for like board game groups yeah which is like a nice that i mean that yeah i think that's like something that is a very desirable niche to hit and one that is probably very you know if you hit it right is gonna lead to a lot of sales yeah, <laughs> but I, I think you give up things on both ends, perhaps. And I, I think yeah. what I'm hearing us say in this game is like that in this case for this game, like perhaps we would like it a bit more if it went either direction a little yeah. bit harder. Yeah. Another way that the game, I agree, Jake. And another way that the game does in- introduce some variability is just by the nature of your starting tiles, right? So you get this double starting tile. It has a street and a beach. Uh, and it just makes you care about some types of tags more than uh, than everyone else at the table. That's all it does usually. And it, it'll give you an extra VIP, maybe, depending on the tile and what you care about, which is good because it means that from the outset, you care about things more than other people. But it, because of everything we've talked about already, it doesn't make the game feel like you're playing anything all that differently. Whereas in a game like Cascadia, when my starting tile has foxes and, and bears and salmon on it, I know that I'm going to maybe push a little bit in that one of those directions to start and can kind of focus a little bit more. And the spatial puzzle of playing those actually does feel different in a way that's more apparent than the spatial puzzle feeling differently when I care about one of these tags in Santa Monica to me. I'm not saying it's not there at all. It just feels more that way. I haven't picked up on any differences between the different tags um, in the same way that, yeah, the puzzle's different in... Cascadia. I I like the fact that it gives you different directions to run in at the start. I think that's an important design choice that works, but I don't think that really, again, feels like variability, right? Agreed. You know, it's just, yeah, it's like, here's like a little signpost that you, you need for the game to work. But yeah, I don't think that that's variability in the same way that like this time I have like a slightly different player power or whatever else. Yeah, I have an agency in the game that I didn't have otherwise. Here, your agencies aren't really ever changing. And any variable agencies are the sand dollar powers, which you share with all the other players. So it never feels unique to you. And we haven't talked about like, is it the green guy called the tourist? The VIP. The VIP. So each of the starting cards also have like different things that the VIP wants to see. You can kind of move him around the board, but or you know, this people yeah. I shouldn't gender the meeple, so you can move this VIP around the board, but it's the exact same as with the you know, scoring tiles where it doesn't actually change any consideration, it just again gives you a slight preference for different tiles. 
over yeah. somebody else. Yeah. Which so there's makes a lot of that going more. on. Yeah. No, just as I was drafting the notes, I sort of felt like, oh, this is like a unifying theme in some ways of Santa Monica, right? There's, there's variability without the variability really changing the feel of the game. It's there to make the game work. It changes your incentives around the considerations you make, but ultimately it doesn't change the way the game feels. And I think there's a difference between variability in games that changes the way the games feel and variability that makes the game work because it changes your considerations. And not that one is better than the other, but variability existing in the game isn't going to make it feel differently necessarily. It depends on how that's expressed, which having said that out loud, feels like, oh, of course, why would it not be that way? But I don't know that I had fully realized that or grasped that before playing Santa Monica, right? And maybe I had to some extent. Like we've all played a game that, oh, this is different every time, but feels kind of the same. But I think it's helping me understand more why that's the case. It's because there's no variable agencies. Your agencies are always the same or shared with others and different, but the same as everyone else. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to hear what other people have to say about these. Like, I think especially the three like universal scoring cards and how they yeah. shake up the game or not because I'm, I'm kind of transitioning to like okay so what did we learn about yeah santa monica in terms of like game design or game preferences you know i think the sand dollars that's one thing because that does functionally change the decision what you can space do. in a very yeah. concrete way so yep. i don't think that can just be ported into other games as easily but like if if this is something that people like, like it feels like having these like universal scoring things that don't change the decision space, but do change your considerations is something that like could almost be ported into any game. And right. like, should we be doing that? Yeah, yeah. I It's interesting because there are other AEG examples of similar things that change the games more, right? Like when you play Calico, you put these little tiles on your own personal player board they're not shared among everyone that change sort of how restrictive the goals that you're pursuing are and to, and to me those really meaningfully change the puzzle so every time i'm playing a game of calico i feel like i'm solving this i'm playing the same game but i'm solving a different unique puzzle with the same pieces when I play Santa Monica and it's a different scoring card, it feels a lot like the same puzzle, even though the considerations around how to maximize my points feel different. Just, I think in part because they are shared, maybe too, is what it comes down to. Like that does play a huge factor. Obviously, if they were like sweepingly different and it was like this game, it's we're really emphasizing the spatial puzzle aspects, that would be different. But they don't really do that. They kind of riff on the same things. So there's a consistent feel, which is, again, it's going for a family audience, which is kind of saying like, you don't want the game to be too different every time someone sits down to play it because you don't want them to have to relearn, right? Yeah. It should be intuitive to kind of grasp. The other interesting thing is like, there's some element to the value here. Like if the negatives you got were way more severe than they are, yeah. then maybe we do pay attention to it a lot more and it feels like a bigger part of the game. Than, than we experienced it. Totally. Uh, so, so maybe that's just kind of how... The rub of it. How the balance was done that makes it feel more throwaway than it actually is. Yeah. Well, that's super interesting. I too, Jake, I'm excited. I think even more so than some of the episodes we've done to hear from people in our Discord kind of talk about Santa Monica. Because it seems like, you know, we both feel this game is 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 good it's good it's a good game it's good if but i had designed not... this game i'd be really proud of myself yeah <laughs> totally 
Yeah. But not one we love. And I know that there are real fans of Santa Monica. And I'd love to to hear from them sort of riff on some of these points. We have a new feature in our Discord, by the way, that Jake set up, such that there are threads for each episode. So if you're listening to this right when this releases, there'll be a cool thread that you can go into and discuss. But if you came back to this episode and it's no not 2023, it's 2025, you could also go in and find that thread and jump right back into where the conversation left off in a neat way, assuming all things with the Discord say the same, which you'll have to explore on your own time. Great. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Last week was our biggest download week ever for Decision Space, so that always feels really good. Uh, So here's to bigger and better things for the show. Brendan, any final thoughts? Oh, just be on the lookout. You know, the reviews talked about what we talk about episodes being a real uh, high note for the show. I know Jake and I agree and really love recording those. So we've got some in the works coming up. So be on the lookout for those. And until next time, thank you to Hembry for intro and outro song, Reach Out. Goodbye, y'all. Bye. Yeah.